Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Derailed Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Fred. And Fred, it's been so long since I've seen you in person. It has, eh? It's like five weeks? Yeah, I think so. I saw Rudy the other day. He did a <gasps> drive-by of my house. Wow. <laughs> Lucky you. I had to give him some documents or something, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, he drove past, and then we had a, a socially distanced approved chat. Oh, wow. Sure, that's lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen anyone. Yeah, man, I think I think everyone's getting a bit sick of this whole quarantine situation. Yeah, we'll hear some more tonight about tomorrow, hopefully things ease up. Well, tomorrow things are easing up, we just... Hear the details tonight. I think. Are we getting up? Are we getting another parole hearing tonight? I think so. I think so. And we usually get them on Thursdays, but we had a big announcement last night about all the restrictions and how everything's going to work and stuff. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, you didn't miss much, dude. Oh. Uh, you're our minister of. I don't know what she's the minister of, <laughs> actually, but yeah. the one in charge of all of this stuff. I can't listen to her talk, dude. Uh, minister of quarantine. <laughs> Minister of Quarantine. Yo, Clemini Zuma, dude. I literally cannot listen to that woman talk. Oh, really? It's like, it's more boring than playing City of the Big Shoulders. Let me put it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell me later what I what they said. I guess we can, uh, uh, actually, we can chat about it at the end, because there's one, like, big drama that happened that's quite funny, so. Oh, really? Okay. We can chat about that at the end, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, man. Other than that, not much news. I mean, I haven't been playing any games. I don't know about you. Um, no, not not board games. I've been playing just the RR18X stuff online. Yeah, we fired up a couple of new ones with the the Discord peeps. Yeah, yeah, and I've still got some that that are carrying on. Yeah, other than that, just video games here and there. Yeah, me too. I've played a fair amount of some video games and stuff. I don't know, dude. I feel like. I don't know if it's lockdown, but like my enthusiasm for board games is like way down. Yeah, well, I think we both like the social aspect of it as well. That's kind of why we we went from video games to board games a couple of years ago, anyway. So yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I my like I've never been a huge fan of electronic games. I don't mind the um, online eighteen xx because you sort of take a turn once a day it's a very different feel it's not nearly as satisfying to me as in person mm. 18xx but it's pretty fun and you get to just follow the progression of a game or whatever but yeah even like digital games like tabletop simulator and stuff i know simon's been so keen to play and like my enthusiasm is so low i'm just like yeah i yeah. guess we can <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know i'm just not even though it kind of simulates it because you can get on discord and stuff it's just Something about it just isn't the same to me. Maybe I need like the tactile feeling or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's definitely not the same. But I do enjoy it when we do it. I do like it. So. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if it's just sort of general like quarantine, lethargy, depression, you know, yes. <laughs> where you sort of just don't really want to do anything almost, yeah. even though when you do, it's kind of fun. Yeah, I'm very keen to get back to like normal life, like... I've been, I've gone back to my like student days. I'm like going to bed super late and waking up late. And yeah, I think it's going to be a while before life is completely back to normal, but we'll see. Oh, I think so as well, man. If we can get some stuff back, that'll be good. I felt so much healthier before lockdown, you know? Yeah. 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 Anyway, let's not get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True story. Yeah, man. I think we have some new patrons though, hey? Yes, we do. Uh, we've got Christopher. Your namesake, or the other way around. Must be a very intelligent, handsome human. Must be, yeah. Um, Dan Schmidt. Oh, yes. Yeah. And Mark Fredrickson. Okay, nicely done. You remember Mark Fredrickson emailed us and we speculated about where he's from based on his surname. And I was like, yeah. could be Scandinavian. Yeah, he's from Michigan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did give us half a W, which is kind of like, I guess I gave us the V. Yes. Um, because he did say he's got like Swedish heritage or something. Oh, I may right. be misquoting this, but one of his parents is from Sweden. I don't know. Something oh, okay. like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think was... it's not that close. I don't think like one of his parents is no, Swedish. It's, it's, or whatever, it's far but back, probably. There's, yeah. there's some ancestry there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so we were, on the, we were on the trail. Yes. We were on the trail. Yeah. <laughs> we'll still, yeah. okay, we'll take the L. It's fine. Let yeah. me not be a sore loser. No, it's, it's, I don't mind. It was fun. We'll take, anyway. we'll take a bad L. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. 
But thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks to all of you. Yes, yeah, thanks very much. We really appreciate it, especially in these times where I think a lot of people are strapped for cash. Uh, that people are still signing up to Patreon is is quite something we really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's cool to have you guys join us in the chat as well. Yeah, yeah. Chat's been popping. Yes, it has, yeah. As they say, nowhere that I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So we were chatting a little bit about this episode. Um, You know, last week or the week before, I'd said that I don't really know what to talk about on these podcasts at the moment because I'm not really playing any games. And we don't know if strategy is kind of like a bad idea because people aren't actually playing games a lot. So it's almost like you don't really get to absorb it or try it or whatever but a while ago before i feel like it was before all this madness happened maybe or right as it was happening um i was poking around for some stuff on 1862 some kind of strategy kind of stuff and yeah i was sort of just like poking around online i think some of it was gleaned from other podcasts and things like that but i was sort of putting this little bit of like a document together for myself not really for myself but for the podcast like just talking points or whatever mm. And I was focusing at the time on kind of the initial stock round um, or parliament round rather um, in terms of how that would shape your strategy or what sort of routes you can take. Because obviously what you decide to do in the beginning, I think almost especially in 1862, can dictate a lot of, of what you do later on as well. Right. Um, because you're often committing to trains of a particular type, mm. company locations are really important, 1862, things like that. Mm. Yeah. So think something that's probably worth talking about anyway and it gives yeah. us a, a topic for today so yeah it's not um i wouldn't say fully fleshed out um i'm going to talk about the stuff that i have found or the stuff that I've, I've written down um but i'm sure there's a lot more that could be said on the topic one thing that i did find interesting though was that i found basically nothing about opening with incremental cap strategies so uh, floating in the normal stock round Yes, yeah. Instead of instead of floating in the initial parliament round, but rather floating in the, the stock round. Right. Um, the difference in 1862 being that it's full cap if you float in the parliament round because you get sort of assistance from government. I think that's the thematic time. Yeah. And then in the stock round, it's sort of the basic incremental cap stuff where shares you buy go into the company. Yeah. But the interesting thing about that is also that you can own 100% of a company. Okay. So I've been kind of intrigued by this idea of sort of not bidding at all in the parliament round, not fighting for companies, anything like that, letting everyone take what they want. And then in the incremental cap kind of round, sort of picking out a company I feel like I can make work and trying to invest very heavily into it up front. Okay. So it's something that I wanted to try, but I haven't seen anyone talking about it. So I was thinking in terms of maybe even doing one of those strategies where you warranty some early trains and try and just pump a lot of revenue really quickly mm. um, where you've got like two or three trains that you can potentially run um, which is a little bit more difficult but yeah something something like that like local trains or expresses or, or something like that you know where you would buy a lot of the shares and then try and get those big double or triple jumps so you float it really low buy up like 80 percent of it Mm. and then try and double or triple jump those shares and then sell the whole thing down again. Okay, yeah, that could be interesting. Mm. It's something that I wanted, I've wanted to try or see if I can make work. And without actually looking at the board and the situation right now, I'm not exactly sure how viable it would be, but I think it would be fun. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's viable. Uh, and I mean, the board set up is fairly random, right, with the, the companies, yes, which yeah. trains they have and stuff, so... I think um, you do have to look at the board anyway to choose your company. But yeah, no, I think that's something that could work. I think the question is, is that better than getting the free money from Parliament or not? You're right, exactly. And that's always always the case. Because the problem, the potential problem as always, is are you getting enough money into into that company so that you can actually get the big revenues early, that you can buy the trains you need and stuff like that? Yes, without the, the free money, so to speak. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know. We haven't done it, though, hey? I don't think any of us have floated an incremental cap company in the first round. No, I don't think so. I, the last time we played, I remember wanting to try it as well. But I think I kind of, like, looked at the board beforehand and I was like, okay, this is the company I want to do it with. 
And then I think someone else put up that company for auction in the parliament round. And then I was kind of like, okay, I'm just going to try and take it over or push up the price. And I think I ended up taking it for myself. If I, it's if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's, it's something that I remember wanting to try, but didn't end up getting to try. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's weird. I think you just sort of look at it and you kind of go, but free money. (laughs) Surely that's better. You know, you always just sort of gravitate towards that, especially at the beginning. Yeah. I know I do now fall into that mindset of like, let me just get some free money and just empty the treasury and take it from there. But I do think you also risk all the like good or well-positioned companies being taken away in the parliament round before. So then you're kind of left with not so good companies in the stock round. Yeah, definitely. I guess the the one advantage is you don't have to bid for them. Yes. Um, Which I think metagame dependence, I think the more you know this game, probably the more intense the bidding gets yeah yeah well i think if everyone has like a roughly the same assessment of which companies are good which you kind of should have if you all kind of know the game yeah uh, then people might not let them get to the stock round yeah because our bidding has not been particularly fierce i wouldn't say but uh that doesn't seem to be the norm um for experienced players it seems like bidding can be Quite high, actually, in yeah. terms of getting the right companies. Well, they, I think Parliament Round almost takes the, the place of the initial private auction, right? Yeah, essentially, yeah. Because, But everyone, it's just like the game is new every time because the setup is, is different. So everyone has to assess which companies are the good ones and then you bid for them like the way you would bid for a private company. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't know, not always the four companies get removed from the game. Right. Um, I think except at higher player counts, I think you might keep all of them, but I, I could be wrong about that. But but the other big consideration is where companies are positions and what trains they have access to, like what train permits they have. Right. So the companies will always be in the same place on the map. Yes. It's just a matter of yeah, what trains they have access to. Yeah. So you might get to know that if this company down here has an express train, that's really good. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it gravitates around London. as well so if you have a company that's close to london that has the right kind of train for getting into london yeah yeah it's going to be it's going to be good yeah so i wanted to talk a little bit about player count okay um because it seems to affect quite a lot in terms of your cash availability and what kind of game you can play so i won't go into i'm going to do the three the three big player counts because it seems to be the one that are discussed the most so three player game seems to offer the most kind of flexibility in terms of what you can do. You have access to quite a lot of money, um, which means you can start two companies essentially um, in the parliament round and you can sort of choose what you'd like to do. So you could have one company that's part very high and one quite low. Um, you can do two in the middle and that's fine and get them both to float. Or you could do two low companies, but buy up, um, a lot of shares in those companies, okay, which is potentially an an option as well. Yeah, which I guess is also a, a good option in terms of getting free money. Nothing's necessarily stopping you from buying multiple shares in a company that also gives you a little bit of extra cash. Yes, I think like the interesting thing there is like when you're getting free money, the the higher you pour it at, the more effective free money you get, right? Right, yeah. But also in 62, the lower you par at, the more likely you are to do the like double, triple or quadruple jumps. Yeah, so maybe that strategy I was talking about, if you want to buy a lot of the company, maybe it would be better um, to actually get a parliament round company parred very low because then you get access to all the money and you yeah. could buy lots of the shares. And then you're, because no matter how many shares you buy, it has the same amount of money, right? If you are floating an incremental cap company, you kind of want to potentially raise the share price as much as possible and then buy in so that you can keep on funding the treasury and the company kind of grows organically rather than needing to be funded by a different company. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so I think it actually makes a lot more sense to do that strategy that I'm talking about with, the parliament round companies rather than the incremental cap ones okay it's it's sort of a fine line it depends how well you can finance it so if you can do an incremental camp company and buy maybe five of the shares and then quickly jump it 
and then start buying in other shares. But again, if someone sees you doing that, they might just start buying up your shares because they see the potential for a big increase and they also want to limit how much money you can get into the treasury. So yeah, I think it's it seems like it'd be quite tricky to pull it off. Yeah. And will you have the money after you've like kind of triple jumped your shares to to actually buy into them? Right, yeah. <laughs> you need the cash flow to buy the higher price shares. Yeah. So I mean if you were gonna buy like let's say eighty percent of a company, it would make more sense to do it with a parliament company, I think. Yeah, I don't know, because if you're going to buy 80% of the company, you're putting in a lot of money. Yeah, you're not getting, you're getting less free money. Yeah, yes. you're right. So, yeah. it's so tricky. So, it if is. you bought, <laughs> let's say, 60 or 70% of an incremental cap company and then jump, managed to jump it quite a lot, then I suppose later on, you could potentially refund that company again with three big share purchases. Right, yeah. That would allow you to get money in there. So maybe that is what you want to do. Yeah. Sure. It's quite, it's no, quite it's tricky. tricky. And it's also, it's kind of like self-correcting and self-balancing because yeah. the, these things have their uh, like advantages and disadvantages. And somewhere in the middle there, there's kind of like a, a best of both worldish area, which, which I guess we're trying to find. So I think what it would probably be was if you, for example, wanted, if you wanted to just sell those shares like get a quick profit so like try and jump them a lot and then sell them off again quite quickly then it would probably be better to do a parliament round strategy with that yeah if you were looking at having that company survive and go into the long game then it would be much better i think to do an incremental cap strategy and i think there could be that could be the way to do it in the sense that let's say you buy 70 percent, which gives you enough money to get some big revenues early yeah. Um, and then you manage to double jump it once or twice or something like that. Now, you know, you sort of can sort of start to funnel some more money into it, even if you funnel money into it from another full cap company, potentially. Right. If you manage to own 100% of that company and its share price has just literally gone up every single round since the beginning, by the end of the game, um, you could potentially have quite a huge payoff from that. Yeah. Yeah, but just remind me again, there's no bankruptcy in 62, right? Uh, technically, no. There's this thing where it can force you to kind of refinance. It hasn't happened to us, but okay. yeah. They, well, there's, there's a refinancing option. So instead of merging, you can do this thing where you give up half the shares and then you sort of get the full cap again into okay. the company. Um, yeah, and I think the, there's some kind of like forced refinancing thing that can happen as well. Right. Okay. And so I was listening, I was actually like, this is good timing because I'm, I've been catching up on podcasts and on an old wheel tapping podcast that I'm listening to, they're interviewing, um, the designer of 1862. Mark. Yeah. Uh, Mike Hutton, right? Yeah. And, um, he was saying like one of the things he kind of didn't, well, not didn't like, but one of the things he kind of like feels is a little, I don't know, maybe, he wasn't very harsh on it, maybe just not very thematic, is that in something like 1830 or, or most of those games based on, on 1830, you're kind of hesitant to invest in other companies because you're worried of the company being dumped on you. So right. you buy one share and you're safe and you, you're very hesitant to buy a second share in another company, right? Right, yeah. So that was kind of the, one of the things he wanted to change in 62. And... He said this, like, not not going bankrupt makes it so that people are less likely to dump companies on other people, which means you are safer to invest in other players' companies. Yeah, absolutely. So, but what I don't quite get, I don't think, because we've never had the refinancing happen, I, I, I've forgotten how it works exactly. So, I, while listening to that podcast, I didn't quite get how that makes it less likely that someone will dump a company on you so i think essentially what it means is that your shares could potentially lose value mm. but you're not going to be in a position where you have to buy this huge asset and you have to take all your personal cash out and all that kind of thing all right okay there's also a way to sell the the president's share oh that's right yes the president's share can go into the bank pool as uh, well okay yeah. so that okay so that also means you're it, it just can't get dumped on you you just if you don't want it, you sell it. 
yeah, you can you can sort of lose money in that game and you can lose value in your shares and you can certainly make poor investments, but you're not going to have a situation where someone dumps a company, you go bankrupt. Right. The end. But I, I think what, what Mike was kind of saying there is you, you might lose your share value, like you're saying, but you're never yeah. like personally liable for money if you don't want to be. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Which makes it a, a lot safer. Yeah. And I like that idea. Like you can make a bad investment, but yes. you can still take the risk of investing without it potentially ending your entire game. That's what he was saying. Yeah, like you can you can make the investment. It might be a bad one, but you're not going to go personally bankrupt. You you lose your share value, and that's the max of it, kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Mm. Oh yeah, so we were talking about player counts. Yeah, so I was saying three players, sort of the most flexible in terms of you can do a high and a low company, two middles or two lows with lots of shares. Okay, and is your goal to merge them then? If you if you're floating two companies with multiple shares. Well, you said you float two companies. It's or it's fairly easy oh, to right. float two companies in three players. So I want to merge in sixty two. <laughs> Merging is something that I still have not figured out in terms of like when it makes sense i've seen mergers that i feel like have been quite good and i've also seen mergers that i feel like literally took someone out of the game like i know simon had a late merge once that that basically lost in the game right yeah yeah he wasn't going to win but he probably did worse because of the merge if i remember correctly yeah yeah so obviously if you're dealing with certificate limits and stuff then merging makes a huge amount of sense yeah and I think merging to get other train types makes sense as well. That's the big one for me, I think, is because each company starts out with one train type permit, but merging, yeah, you can exactly. potentially get a second train type. And I think to me, like with my experience of having played twice, <laughs> that's so far for me is the only time it makes sense to merge is because you get one company with access to two different types of trains. It can also be good in sort of limiting your your liabilities as well. Mm. Um, if uh, I often merge if my trains are about to rust in one company, right? It allows you to sort of combine treasuries, and at the same time, um, you only need to buy trains now for one company. Yes, you don't have you don't have a requirement of two trains. You have a requirement yeah. of having one train. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So you have a, obviously a finite amount of money across those two companies. Yeah. So only needing needing less trains is obviously better. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it but it feels like something almost that you like have to do. It feels like you you basically always lose out is what it feels like. If you don't merge. No, when you do merge, I mean, it feels like you are essentially always losing some amount of value. Yeah, but I think you get it back because. With the extra train type, you should be hopefully making double or triple jumps. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't mean that it's a, it's a bad move. Right. But rather, in terms of like, if you're trying to do it to increase your stock portfolio, increase your value or something, I think it pretty much never works that way. Um, you're essentially always going to lose in that sense. It's, it's more of a strategic maneuver right. in the sense that it gives you access to different trains or... It allows you to sort of limit your liabilities or float a new company or whatever the case may be. Yeah, well, I, I think it should make the merged company stronger in the long run as well. Yeah, well, that's the idea, right? If it doesn't, then then you've kind of potentially messed up somewhere. Yeah, then you probably shouldn't merge, yeah. Yeah, but you don't want to just merge for the sake of merging. Right, yeah. You need to have a clear reason to do it because... You basically, what I'm saying is that you're giving something up when you merge, so you need to be gaining something as well. Yes, yeah, you need to get something in return for, for that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so a four-player game seems to have the least flexibility. Um, we've only played this at four, I think. Yes. So in a four-player game, you have 60 pounds, I suppose it would be, uh, that you can spend on bidding, and that allows you to float two companies at the bottom, the bottom price. Okay. Yeah, so that doesn't give you a huge amount of flexibility in terms of what you can do. Um, assuming that floating two companies is better, which I would say that it generally is, then yeah, essentially you've got you've got room to float two. Right. Yeah. At the bottom price, which I believe is fifty-four. Okay. Yeah. So your strategy there is fairly linear in terms of your opening 
but not in terms of company selection and train type selection, obviously. Um, just in terms of pricing, it's fairly limited. Right, yeah. Um, if you spend less dollars, I suppose you can probably float them slightly higher, but you'd need to spend quite a lot less. You need to only spend 20 on bidding yeah. to float them at 58, which I think is the next jump. Okay. And then in a five-player game, which you also might play, um, you can only float one company, but you have a lot of flexibility in terms of the price. Um, so that gives you options. You can float it low and buy a lot of shares, or you can float it really high, um, but just have the minimum amount of shares. Mm. So you've got a lot of flexibility in how you want to set your price. Okay. Um, you can also potentially not spend too much so that you can float a second company faster. Um, yeah, it's up to you. So there's some interesting strategic choices there in terms of pricing as well. So you should probably then also be able to bid a little bit more in the parliament auction. So potentially the prices can go up there. Yeah, essentially, right? Well, what it basically means is that in a five-player game, you're only going to be able to float one company. You'll yeah. never be able to float two. Yeah. So it's up to you to kind of figure out how much you're willing to spend in the auction because that will limit your options further. Yes, yeah. Yeah, but it does allow more room for that as well. Mm. But interesting to note that in a four-player game, sixty dollars is the the limit to what someone can spend. If you if you want to float two companies, right? Exactly, exactly. So, which you probably should be doing if the other people are doing that. <laughs> yeah, but it does add a certain amount of tension to the bidding, mm. um, especially I think if people have already bid on one company or something like that. Uh, it kind of gives you an idea of how much people might be willing to spend yeah. um, and I suppose if people don't know that you can potentially bait them into spending five dollars too much yes yeah. <laughs> and figure that out <laughs> they should have figured that out but you know yeah. there's always room there's always room to punish yeah yeah interesting yeah it makes me want to play 62 again sure yeah absolutely yeah so I think that I think that an interesting strategy um, in terms of what we've been talking about is in the parliament round to price a company very low mm get multiple jumps from it and you can sell as much as you can and then you can actually abandon the company you can just sort of yeah I, i'm not sure i'm sold on that because if you pirate high you get more free money man <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so it's that trade-off it's that balance right exactly yeah it's basically like i'm going to try get so many jumps out of this that yes i can then just sell it down completely and just totally abandon it but that would be a parliament round strategy not a stock round strategy because in stock round like we've been discussing now you're looking towards a longer game you're looking towards financing that company with more expensive shares or whatever the case may be so yeah 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 cool interesting stuff yeah, very cool. And what about two-player? Because I don't know if we'll get Rudy and Simon to play this with us again. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't actually know about two-player. I imagine that it's similar to three-player in that you just have yeah. uh, quite a lot of flexibility. And you can float two and probably should. Mm. Yeah. I imagine two-player is probably quite fun because you're probably controlling a ton of companies. Yes, we must do that. As soon as we are allowed to leave our houses, you and I must. We definitely must because I hear it's good at two. Yeah. Yeah. Rudy and Simon found 62 just like a little bit too much in terms of all the different rules. and Yes, which I can understand. There is a lot. For sure. And it is a lot of it is very different to to the other games they're used to. So. Yeah, it is not a training wheels 18xx at all. No, definitely not. I still feel bad for the people who saw it was from GMT and they're like, oh, I want to check out this 18xx thing and they pick <laughs> up this and they're just like, oh. Although those are probably war gamers, so they probably think it's like a really minor amount of rule. Oh yeah, they like rule books, as do we. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's play accounts. Um, so then I just wanted to talk a little bit about the different trains and potential strategies. Um, I don't have a huge amount to say on this, so I didn't find a lot on express trains. It seems like express trains early on are kind of seen as pretty safe pretty good bets which kind of makes sense to me just remind me of the differences so local can't run off board local can't run off boards um to ports or red locations or anything like that um but locals do give you money into your treasury for every uh spot that you hit right even if you do a full payout you still get some into your treasury which is nice. yes yeah they, it's actually a bonus essentially it doesn't count towards your revenue at all but you get i think it's 10 per spot that you hit into your treasury okay and then we've got freight trains 
Yeah, so freight trains are the ones that connect together like some kind of former chain human centipede for yes. us. Or, okay. or maybe like a regular train, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so freight trains join together and you basically take the value of the place you start and the value of the place that you end mm. and then you count the hexes in between. The, and it's 20 per hex, I think. The crow flies hexes. Yeah, I think 30 per hex if you touch a port. Okay. And then we've got the express, which is the most normal train. Yeah, so expresses basically skip towns and they only touch cities and offboards. Okay. Yeah, and you don't get the revenue from the towns either. Right, yes. And they don't count them, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but towns are, are, are not horrible in 1862. Towns pay a fair amount. I think they pay 20 as well, so. Yeah. Yeah, so express trains are pretty safe in the sense that you can go to London with them, uh, you can hit the offboards, you can sort of create some easy lucrative routes. They're probably the easiest to to understand right, yeah. <laughs> as well. Um, so I didn't find much about sort of freight, I mean, sorry, express train strategies. I think because they they kind of don't really need a special working. Right. Um, I think realistically you want to float a company with a, express train that is close to an offboard yes or sort of close to london something like that mm. um i don't think you want an express train in the middle of the map i would say I, I think that would almost be better for a local train i could be wrong about this but it, yeah it feels to me anyway like you want yeah. to be able to access the offboards because that's kind of the strength of the express trains so in the first 62 we played i think that's the thing that i did right which won me that game was i found of uh, an express train company like next to London. And I bought that one, floated it. And I think that's how I won that game, basically. In the second game we played, I think there wasn't a company close to London with an express train. All the express right. trains were like far away. And I think in that situation, what, what you should try and do is buy any company then that's close to London and try and merge it with a company that has an express train permit. So a good freight train strategy is to find a freight company that is just a couple of hexes from London. Okay. Um, because you can make London one of your points. Right, okay. So if you can get into London and get your token there with your freight train, the longer your freight train gets, the more sort of hexes you can count and things like that. Um, you can also go to the east towards a port as well. There's a port not too far from there. Um, so you could potentially go port to London or you could go up through the center of the map. But... Having London as one of the two spots that you can count with a freight train is is really, really powerful. Okay, yeah, that's that's good to keep in mind then, yeah. Yeah, because freight trains can hit offboards. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's just the locals that can't. Yeah, so freight trains, remember, they take quite a lot to, to kind of build up. Um, their range is really, really small. Um, I think that, and freight trains are hex trains as well. Right, yeah. So I think that they're, the range is one, I believe. I think the, the first freight trains are just one. Um, but obviously, the more you have, they kind of join together. So yes. it increases your your range. But yeah, so a freight train that is in a company that's very close to London can be very valuable even into the late game because okay. it'll be easy to get to London and then you can connect it to kind of wherever makes the most sense and count all the hexes in between. But you'll have that huge income from London as one of your points. Okay. Which is pretty great. So if you are going to go for a freight train strategy, one of the best things you can do is get a place that's a couple of hexes from London. The other thing you can do is there are some great, and I've done this before, there's some great freight train locations in the northern part of the map uh, where you can run from sort of a red location to a port location quite easily. Okay, yeah. Um, and there's some pretty big dividends to be had up that side as well. Okay, nice, yeah. Yeah, so I think either sort of very south or very north are pretty good for freights. South gives you the London, and then north gives you access to some good offboards. Right, yeah. And I believe that freight lines are allowed to run from red to red or from port to port, unlike the other trains. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, I think it's something to do with the way it's calculated or some rules thing like that but i haven't verified that but i believe that is the case okay but yeah if you try that double check me i suppose <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so those are freight trains and the last one are local trains um so i spoke about that local strategy that i tried um before um that someone in our, our discord posted about wanting to try um i don't know if it's good but it was very fun 
um, where <laughs> you sort of get a bunch of, of the cheapest train, uh, you warranty all of them, and then you run like as many routes as you can essentially in order to get money into your treasury so that when your warranties run out, you've filled your treasury with the bonuses and then you get to still have money and buy more trains. Uh, it worked pretty well when I did it and I got some good revenue early. So yeah, yeah no idea if it's any good, but that's a fun one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that did look fun, I must say, um, because you're, you're basically increasing your share price, getting dividends and money into your treasury. So it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. So the lo the local train's biggest limitation is essentially that they can't get into London. Yeah, or any offboards. Yeah, they can't run the offboards. Yeah. yeah, they can be good for your first company because they fill your treasury. Um, so they're not they they're not a bad shot for your first company. Um, so locals kind of get a little bit of a bad name, I think, but they can provide pretty huge revenues later on in the game as well. Okay. But what I've read about this is that locals can potentially create, I'm told, according to the internet, some of the biggest revenue routes possible at the end of the game, maybe even the biggest possible. Oh, wow. But with locals, you have to build up uh, the route from early. So you basically need to be planning this route for the entire game. So your company that you start as a local company, if you intend to take it into the long game, you need to plan a route that hits all the small towns that you can. Oh, okay. So you have to basically build up this network over the course of the entire game. And then by the end, you potentially have a massive uh, revenue coming off of that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but again, something that you need to, to plan from early on. And remember, there's also that action in 1862 that allows you to place small towns on hexes. And that's something that the local player would most likely be doing as well. Mm, okay, cool. So plan your route, plan your tokens. Yeah, but it's also a good first company if you just want to have a, a treasury going. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps with the treasury, building the treasury. And I always feel like it plays nicely with the other two company, the other two trains as well, because you can have the other two trains hit off boards and then have your local sort of snake through the center of the map. Yeah, in that first game, I managed to, I think it was an express and a, a local in the same company. So hitting London and getting money into the treasury, it was working well, yeah. Yeah, because remember that your your local train has to intersect yes. with something. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a, a pretty good way of doing it as well. Yeah. You have like a freight train that can score um, London and then have a local that connects to that and then goes through the center of the map and hits a bunch of small towns. I think you can get some pretty massive revenues in the late game with something like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so the last thing I want to say about local companies was that they seem to potentially be the most effective in a four-player game, as that's where the treasuries are the most tight. Oh, interesting. Okay. So refilling treasuries in a four-player game is potentially pretty good. And that's because you par low in a four-player game, right? Yeah. So four-player game, you've got the least flexibility, and it, it seems like the natural flow of the game is such that yeah, you'll struggle with your treasuries more. You'll have access yeah. to less money, yeah. Everyone tries to float two companies, but then they have to pile them low, which means your treasuries are small. Exactly, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yes. Um, yeah, and the only other thing I want to add, this was just a little tidbit, I suppose. Um, there's 54 and 58 are the two lowest prices, I believe, that you can par at. Um, so something to note about the difference between those two is that 58, if you part 58 after you buy your tokens, you'll be left with 400. So this is significant because the A trains cost 100 and the B trains cost 200. Okay. So having 400 exactly after tokens means that you can buy the most amount of trains with like the perfect amount of, of treasury. Right, yeah. Yeah, very efficient use of your treasury. Yeah, so there's a pretty massive difference between 54 and 58 in that sense. Okay, so you, 58 was the one you said that works out there. Yeah, okay. 58 gives you 400 after tokens. So you can mitigate this obviously with like a local company, which will give you that little bit extra. Yeah. Yeah, because it's only an extra 60 pounds essentially. Right, okay. But that 60 pounds is the difference between buying an extra train and not. Yeah. So if you're not running a local and you're not getting money into treasury that way, just keep that in mind that 58 is a much more desirable par price. Okay, yeah, that's a very good tip. For the early game. Yes. Cool. Anything else on 62 strategy? 
Oh, yeah, I've got one more little note here. Okay. So we spoke about how in the four-player game, you have $60 to spend and you can float two at the bottom. Mm. If the metagame here becomes important in terms of how much you are kind of willing to, to spend, if you can get less desirable companies for cheap or for basically nothing, I think in this case, um, you would then be able to float at 62 and 58 instead of floating two at 54. Um, so I think that would require you basically taking companies for free. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not spending any money to bribe Parliament. Exactly. Okay. If you do that, though, um, if you float at that amount, that amount of money will let you open up the B trains for your second company. Mm-hmm. So if everyone else is floating at 54, I believe that you can open up the B trains for your second company. Okay. Yes, according mm. to this little note that I have here. Interesting. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Always lots to consider. Yeah, exactly. And obviously opening up the B trains is good. Because then your second company gets to gets to hack into that a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Okay, nice. Yeah, okay. That's it. That's it for my Parliament Round sixty two strategy. Cool, thanks. Yeah, no, that was that was very useful and makes me want to play again as soon as possible. <laughs> Yeah, I think every time we talk about this stuff, it's like, no, but now I need to try it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a fun game. It's a very weird one, but I like all the different layers to it and stuff. Mm, I like it a lot, yeah. But it's, it's funny because, you know, we can totally agree with Rudy and Simon's, I guess you could say criticism. I don't know if you'd call it a criticism. I think, it, I suppose it is, but we kind of agree with that. But in our minds, we like having something that's so out there and so different from all the other games that we have yeah definitely <laughs> but i think it requires some internalization of 18xx convention so that the extra rules don't bother you too much yeah if you're still trying to hold in mind how all the 18xx stuff works in general then all the extra stuff heaped on top can just feel very overwhelming and it's easy to get confused yes but i think everything to me everything it changes or adds is fun like they're fun things to play with Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's just a melting pot of mechanisms, essentially, yeah. but it's cool. Yeah, cool. I like it. Okay, yeah, thanks for that, Chris. That was interesting and useful, I hope. Yeah, pleasure. And thanks thanks to all the people I stole this sweet strategy advice from. I do recommend, um, I think, Driving Trains did an episode. I'm pretty confident I was listening to that and some of these ideas came from there. I don't know if you've listened to that yet. It's really cool. It's basically... <laughs> a guy talks about a train game on his way to work i think i have listened to that yeah it is very interesting i i'm very behind though oh yeah no me as well for sure but it's very cool though because he often goes into sort of in-depth on strategies and things like that and yeah i found their 62 episode was was cool for that as well and i'm sure some of this came from there too yeah nice yeah i normally listen to podcasts when i'm driving and i haven't been doing a lot of driving <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, true, actually. Yeah. So, so I'm listening to them and doing stuff around the house as well. So yeah, I'm slowly catching up. Exactly. That's what I do as well. I like listen to podcasts while I'm like packing the dishwasher or whatever. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. You said you had something to discuss in the South Africa thing. Oh, so. uh, yeah, man. So, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. So last night, so we've been on lockdown now for five weeks. Five weeks. Right. Uh, and the people who are suffering arguably the most are the smokers because mm. they said in lockdown that they've banned they banned cigarette sales in lockdown. Yeah. Um, I think the basic motivation was like you don't want people leaving their house to buy a pack of smokes. Right. Mm. So everyone's been celebrating because on Friday, as in tomorrow when we're recording this, but probably not when you're hearing it. But on Friday, the, the 1st of May. Um, we are technically coming off lockdown and moving to this like level system that they have now. So we're moving to level four, whereas full lockdown is level five. Level four allows some things. Um, so they allow like limited amounts of exercise between like certain hours of the day. Um, you can, some people can go back to work. Some shops can open, but it's pretty restrictive. Like we have a very intense lockdown, I think, compared to the rest of the world. Still no alcohol sales either, right? Still no alcohol sales, which people are upset about. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of funny. They they said that 
last week, Thursday, when they spoke about the level four, they said that cigarette sales will be allowed. But now, yesterday, when they were describing level four and what it entails, they've actually backpedaled. And now they say they're not going to allow cigarette uh, sales wow. at level four. Sure. So people are bleak. I can imagine. Like, I don't smoke, but it must be rough if you do. <laughs> yeah. So last night, my WhatsApp a group for my complex that I live in started blowing up with people asking if they could buy cigarettes from other people. Mm. The illegal black market trade of cigarettes is alive and well in my complex. Oh, well, I mean, that's what's going to happen. Of course, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, well, exactly, right? I mean, I think that it already is. And there's some, there's some conspiracy theories coming out because there was photos of the minister, my favorite, Lamini Zuma, the one I can't listen to, <laughs> um, there were some photos of her hanging out with this well-known cigarette smuggler. Oh, and she's no. the one who decided it doesn't go on sale at level four. So it's like, hmm, yeah. what exactly is going on here? <laughs> Interesting. So. Well, if you do, if you are a smoker and you've ever thought of quitting, lockdown is a good time to Yeah, do now's it. the time. I wonder if the pharmacies are selling out of like nicotine and gum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is a bit of a strange one, that. And yeah. as well. Like I've got friends in the UK and like was chatting to them on house party and while we're chatting they're ordering pizza and I'm just like, Oh my goodness, <laughs> you guys Yeah, and exactly. So oh, that's the big thing. So takeaways are allowed from tomorrow. Yes, yeah. But like I need Uber delivery. Eats. Right? Yeah, Uber Eats, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I you can't go that. to a takeaway place and pick up you have to get them to deliver oh, i don't know actually can you can you like hit the drive through no i don't think so but i didn't watch last night so i might have missed something but last i heard you couldn't it was delivery only your uber eats is gonna have a two hour waiting time tomorrow yeah they will yeah i'm gonna hit them up at 10 in the morning and our complex specifically as well doesn't allow deliveries into the complex so i don't know if they're gonna change that uh tomorrow or friday so we'll we'll have to see but i think probably wait a few days before you order takeaway if you do want to order takeaway. <laughs> no chance man i'm ordering tomorrow i'm gonna wake up and hit that button <laughs> okay yeah do it early for this yeah, yeah exactly early. gotta get in early lunch at 10 yeah <laughs> that's my plan but it's quite funny so um in our complex on our sorry your in our complex whatsapp group mm last not last night a few nights ago people were posting pictures of their like homemade alcohol like banana beer and pineapple <laughs> beer and all this stuff and i felt so bad for them and i don't really drink very much at all like yeah. i'll drink socially and stuff like that but i don't really drink at home like i won't sit at home and drink a few beers or whatever yeah so i thought it'd be funny to empty out all the beers from my fridge and like post a picture of them and say like free to a good home <laughs> so i did that and i was not prepared for the response oh really yeah it was like hectic 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 did you give them all away yeah no i did but there was like a bunch of people responded in seconds like please me please 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 or wow. whatever and then this person started private messaging. she's like please can i have them i messaged first people started offering to pay for them yeah. and i was like what have i gotten myself into so i was like okay guys the first five people who responded we're going to give something to right so then i just started pulling all the alcohol out of my house i found like a bottle of rum and like a bottle of whiskey and a bottle of vodka it's all been sitting around here for ages and wow. no one drinks it right sure. so i said okay guys you've got five choices yeah and you get to choose in the order that you responded yeah so then i had to send these pictures like you can have this three quarter full bottle of vodka or this three quarter full <laughs> bottle of whatever <laughs> And then people just came to my house to collect their like little prize. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm don't drink a lot either, but I do enjoy the occasional whiskey every now and then. And I'm down to like, I've opened my last bottle. So, cause I didn't prepare for this. I thought it was, yeah. initially it was going to be three weeks. No alcohol purchases. Now it's five weeks already and still no alcohol purchases. So yeah, man, it's crazy. Yeah. And but there's going to be hectic lawsuits. I mean, the tobacco industry has plenty of money to throw lawyers at them, and they're going to. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We will see. But it was fun being drunk Santa Claus for a night. <laughs> people funny. were so appreciative, and then people brought me stuff. Like someone brought me some like frozen lasagnas. Oh wow, that's nice. Someone in the complex makes those like face shields for COVID or whatever. So they brought me one of those. Oh, cool! It's awesome. pretty cool. 
<laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> uh, you're popular in the complex. Yeah, now everyone loves me. Yeah. <laughs> and someone messaged me like, oh, do you have any more beer, dude? I was like, no, man, I don't have any more beer. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, people have been buying pineapples and baker's yeast. <laughs> to just... Dude, like pineapples are like sold out and stuff. <laughs> it's like the most ridiculous thing. Yeah. And someone posted banana beer, and I just said, I can't. And I put that, like, vomiting emoji or whatever. <laughs> he was one of the guys who came to collect some beers, and he was like, dude, it's the best one. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm, st- I'm not sure if I'm buying it. Banana beer sounds rough to there me. Is a, there is a brewery that actually bottles banana beer. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, maybe there's something to it. Yeah, some some African country. I'm not, I can't remember where, but they sell like a beer made from banana wow okay interesting yeah i think if you do it right it probably can turn out well but everyone or most people doing this are just like doing it for the first time in their homes <laughs> results may vary yeah exactly 100 <laughs> percent. yeah our yeast company has stopped selling brewer's yeast oh right yeah um our main like yeast company and then they they tried to make sure that they had enough yeast for like the actual bakers and stuff yeah because baking is also popular when people are stuck at home <laughs> yeah there's like a big shortage on it and stuff it's actually hilarious because yeah. all people making their gross freaking beers and moonshine and whatever they've got <laughs> bathtub prison gin <laughs> yeah toilet vodka <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah, thanks guys. I think we'll probably end there. It's not easy to hear too much more about our illicit <laughs> prohibition era <laughs> alcohol trade. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, dude. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Appreciate you guys as always. Hope you are surviving your own quarantines, lockdowns, assorted end of the worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks everyone for listening. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you would like to get in touch with us, we are at derailed18xx on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us, derailed18xx at gmail.com. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash derailed18xx. Thanks for listening.